I mean, the transformative moment for me in my youth was obvious. It was, I was 15 years old and my high school counselor um, suggested that I might like to work for the congressional campaign of John Lewis. And for those who don't know who John Lewis is or was, John Lewis is currently a congressman from Atlanta. He's the last lion of the civil rights movement, who's still you know, the last living lion. He was a student uh, who led the Nashville sit-ins um, in uh, the early 1960s and went on to become one of the leaders of the Freedom Rides um, through the South and uh, sacrificed his body and was nearly killed when he was beat by white supremacists during the Freedom Rides. He went on to lead the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, um, in the mid-60s and um, eventually was one of the delegates to the meetings with uh, President Kennedy and then later uh, President Johnson for the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. And he was the youngest speaker at the March on Washington. I think he spoke sixth. Um, and he actually had to be calmed down by A. Philip Randolph, who uh, coached him not to say that the Civil Rights Movement was gonna burn down the South. Uh, which would stoke fears of the Civil War in the South. And so in 1985 and 86, um, I went to his office and discovered that there was hardly anybody working on that campaign. He was running against Julian Bond, who's another uh, leader of the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, they were both running in the Democratic primary, and it was the city of Atlanta, so it's not a Republican seat, has never I don't think it's ever been. Um, and uh, I went and saw Julian Bond's office, and that was like the place to be. There were hundreds of people circulating through there, and I saw John Lewis's office. And I knew a little bit about John um, from just reading about the civil rights movement. And I thought, wow, you know, I'm going to get a lot more opportunity here because there's fewer people. That's really what I was thinking. Um, but I became close friends with Mr. Lewis and his late wife, Lillian, and their son, John Miles. And um, if you look at the front page of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on the, the night of our victory in the primary, you'll see Mr. Lewis and Mrs. Lewis, and then you see me, and you see John Miles on my shoulders. Um, I was the body man because I was, I was young. I was 15, and then I turned 16 during, during the campaign. Um, and I was tireless, so I went with Mr. Lewis to all-night laundromats and to shift change at the factories, and, you know, um, we did six black churches every Sunday morning. Um, you know, I was Brother Brad because nobody could pronounce Lichtenstein, and it was, it was the most incredible experience of my life, and it made me realize that I wanted to be part of the fight for justice. Um, so there's no doubt, that, and we're friends to this day, and he's in a movie I'm making right now. Um, and, and actually, we're doing another project that could very well um, feature him. So, uh, yeah, no, there was nothing more profound than that. Uh, that was all the primary, and then the general election was, of course, in November. So I was already matriculated as a freshman at University of Vermont. And um, I got to say, it was super cool. Um, Mr. Lewis called me from the, the victory party, and uh, we put him on speakerphone in my dorm room and 
all my friends were around and I don't think they even knew who John Lewis was, but you know, and now today, I mean, Mr. Lewis was the one who led the sit-in on the floor of the Congress uh, for gun control um, uh, over a year ago, or maybe exactly a year ago. Uh, so he's still doing what he likes to call uh, make good trouble. In the stories that I tell, a lot of times people are going through difficult circumstances and I think there's this idea out there of objectivity or journalistic objectivity, uh, which I think is kind of a load of crap. I mean, you can't be detached. If you are detached, you're inhuman. And if you're trying to make human stories, it requires you to be open and vulnerable as well. Um, I would say that I'm kind of have both heads on at the same time. You know, partially I'm looking out for the story. So what do I need to get? How does it fit into an arc? You know, I'm thinking about those things. And I suppose that is a kind of detachment so that you can be more analytical about what you're filming and capturing. Um, but then I also try to be emotionally available and involved, uh, but also not try to be unaware of my privilege either. Um, I don't think people sign up to be part of a film because they think that you are going to help them necessarily. It's that, and what I think my job is more is like empowering people by providing the means for them to have voice to share their own stories. And then hopefully using my expertise, you know, to weave it all together in something that people are interested in and then create the opportunity for their stories to be used for social change or personal change or personal awareness or social awareness. Um, that's sort of my job. So, you know, sometimes I think I, I said before, you know, sometimes I have really deep relationships that are enduring with people that, that um, you know, we've filmed with. And sometimes it ends when the film ends. Um, it kind of depends on the person. And I think one of the things that's interesting um, in the last like 10 years is we've gone through a new wave really of um, identity awareness. Um, and so I'm very aware of my own privilege that I'm a white man and I'm telling stories often uh, about populations that are different than me, um, usually African-American to some degree. Um, and I just try not to set up things so that they play into stereotypes. Um, and I try to be very aware of my own ignorances um, and also not apologize for, at this point in a career, kind of understanding how to tell a story too um, and trying to bring that to, to the party, you know. Um, I feel like that's what trust is kind of built on. I mean, people are agreeing to be part of a film because I think they feel like you, me, are going to do the right thing with their story. Um, yeah, my feelings have changed over the years. I mean, I think I felt more like a zealot when I was younger. Um, I feel more like a conduit as I'm older and also feel more compelled to empower filmmakers of color to be in a position to tell stories as well. And we actually started a fellowship here and Daniela Cortez is the first fellow and we're helping mentor her and providing office space and access to equipment. And I hope to raise some money too for her 
first project and she's working on a project that has to do with Latino people here in Milwaukee. Um, and, you know, that's something I feel really strongly about now too is I move into a different phase. You know, I'm kind of more interested in executive producing projects. Um, I do have some goals for my own work too uh, to go to another level, but I also have goals about trying to uh, nurture and bring up promising storytellers and um, finding the right platform for their voices and giving them the tools to be successful.